Hey there! Thanks for tuning in to Spark Creators. Today, our topic is storytelling. Let's first dive into a story told by our guest Kevin Cody. When did polar bears learn to dance? Can polar bears really dance? Let's find out. Danny, when did polar bears learn to dance? What do you mean, son? Polar bears can't dance. Daddy, when did polar bears learn to dance? I don't know what you're talking about, son. Polar bears can't dance.、Uh, why don't you ask your mother? Daddy, Mama's at work. That's all right,、uh, son. Polar bears can't dance, and you know that Daddy's working now, and I've got a lot to do. I've got a big pressing appointment coming up.、Uh, polar bears can't dance, son. Daddy, can can I go to the beach? All right, son, but be back before dark. And since he lived right next to the beach, he just opened that inside door and he walked out, and he was at the beach. And like many times before, he sat and he waited, and he looked out, and as he saw the ocean, he saw his friends. There they were. There was Polly, the big polar bear, and he was dancing. And he brought his friends Swish and Whirl and Whoosh, and he was having a great time. He'd sit and watch them play games. Sometimes they'd do an underwater hide and seek, and many times they would dance. And they knew all the dances. They knew the rock and roll. They knew the country dance. They knew some of those crazy dances. And every now and then they would waltz. Just like his mommy and daddy used to do, all the polar bears, and he'd sit there for hours and hours and hours on the beach watching his friends, the polar bears, dance. And when it would get almost nighttime, he would go inside that door, and he'd say, "Daddy, daddy, daddy, you should have saw Polly. He was wonderful. He brought his friend Whoosh, and they were doing rock and roll, and they were playing hide and seek, and oh, it's just great, Daddy. Son, you know I'm busy, and I told you polar bears can't dance. And every day, every day, his son would say, 'Daddy, daddy, when did polar bears learn to dance, son?'" I don't know about polar bears dancing, and he'd ask to go to the beach, and he'd watch his friends. But one particular day, he said, "Daddy, when did polar bears learn to dance?" Son, you've asked me every day for a while now. I need to tell you that polar bears can't dance. Oh, but they can, Daddy. They're beautiful. They can do all kinds of dances, and they talk to me, and they're my friends, and we have a great time together. You should come, Daddy. And he was worried about his son, and he said, "Tomorrow, we're not going to school. You wake up, and we're going to go somewhere else." And the next day, he went into this very, very large building. All the way up to the seventh floor, and there were people dressed in white coats, and his daddy was talking to him, and there was a sign on the door that said "psychiatrist," and he heard the conversation between the psychiatrist and his father. Your son needs an ugly dose of reality. You're going to have to not let him go to the beach or talk about polar bears for three months. And here, here's a workbook. 
It's called living in the real world. Make sure he does double homework every day out of this workbook. And then the psychiatrist brought the little boy in, and he didn't like that much. He used to like answering questions about the polar bears, but it just kind of made him nervous when he was talking to the man in the white coat. And every day, for two weeks, he'd say, Daddy, 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 can I go see the polar bears? Son, we talked about this. There are no such things as polar bears dancing by the beach. But Daddy, 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 and it went on and on until two weeks passed and the little boy realized he was not to ask about polar bears. And so he didn't. For three months, he did extra assignments in the homework book. He answered questions, but he never spoke about the polar bears again. And when three months were gone, his father opened up the inside door, said, Son, do you want to go to the beach today? Daddy, Daddy, I'd love to go to the beach. I'd love to go to the beach. Well, I'm kind of busy, son. I've got things to do, but you can go. Remember, there are no polar bears learning to dance. Remember that, son, and you can go to the beach every day. And so he went out, and he found a spot to sit on the sand. And he waited. There are no polar bears. There are no polar bears. There are no polar bears. And he looked out. <laughs> and his face began to smile. Because he saw just out of the corner of his eyes, he saw Polly and they were playing tricks. And he saw Wish. And he saw Whirly. And he saw all his friends, the dancing polar bears. And they were laughing and telling jokes and played a new game of hide-and-seek. And they were doing new dances that he'd never seen before. And they said they missed him. And, and it was fun. And he had a great time. And he forgot all about that homework book and he came home and he was excited and he said daddy daddy you'll never guess what happened he said yes son he said oh the polar bears were were there and they were having fun and they missed me and we had a great time son i have heard enough now you need to take me out here and show me these polar bears okay daddy come on let's go hurry hurry and he grabbed his son by the hand and they walked out to the beach and when they got to the beach he said, son, I don't see any polar bears anywhere. Where are there polar bears? Daddy, 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 you have to wait. You have to wait, daddy. Would it hurt just to wait? All right, son, but I'm in a hurry. And he cleared a spot, and his father waited, and his son waited. The first time in a long time. And his dad grabbed his son's hand. And he looked out to the ocean. And he was taken back to a time when his own father would call off work and pretend that he was sick so they could spend time at the ocean. And he remembered that they used to watch the waves, and back then they called them rolling thunder. And he would count the number of waves that would happen before each wave. One, two, Rolling thunder. It was a great time. Daddy, 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 look, look. And his son woke him up, and he looked out, and he saw the white crest foam 
on each wave, rolling onto shore. Daddy, Daddy, there's Polly. Look at Polly. Look at Whoosh. Look at Whirly. Oh, they're dancing. And he watched each wave, and he watched his son's eyes. He said, son, 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 that's one big old belly on that big old bear. <laughs> and they had a great time, and they talked about the new bears and the new dances. And He met Polly, and he met all his friends, and they laughed together, and they had a great time. And he said, Daddy, Daddy, we have to go. And he said, Son, I'll, I'll be there soon. And when his son went inside the house, he stayed, and he looked out to the waves because he knew his rolling thunder was coming soon. I hope you guys enjoyed this story told by Kevin Cody, When Did Polar Bears Learn to Dance? Now let's dive into today's episode. Welcome to Spark Creators, a podcast that empowers kids to learn, create, and become. This podcast invites creators and entrepreneurs from all over to share their stories and ideas. We believe every kid is creative, it's just a matter of taking that first step and starting now. We hope this podcast can inspire you to create something that makes a difference in the world. If you want to stay inspired, remember to subscribe. You can find us on iTunes, Spotify, and Google Play or visit us at peachandplumlab.com slash podcast. Hello everyone, welcome to Spark Creators. I'm your host, Lee Zen. Today it is wonderful to have Kevin Cody, an American teacher, storyteller, and author. Kevin has told stories in over 40 states and internationally. Kevin holds a doctorate from the Ohio State University in education, storytelling, and story making. And he has taught storytelling at the university and secondary level. Kevin shares stories with a highly energetic, animated, and interactive style and is considered by many storytelling professionals as one of the most influential and dynamic storytellers and teachers today. Cody also wrote the book, Playing with Stories, Story Crafting for Storytellers, Writers, Teachers, and Other Imaginative Thinkers in 2014. He is considered one of the nation's primary advocates for youth storytelling. According to the National Storytelling Network, he is the first full-time high school storytelling teacher in the country. His work has been chronicled in the book he co-authored with Judy Sima, Raising Voices, Creating Youth Storytelling Groups and Troops. Cody also started the Youth Special Interest Group for National Storytelling Network and founded the Voices Across America Youth Storytelling Project. All right. <laughs> Great to have you, Kevin, Yeah, on our show. And this is Spark Creators, where we invite creators, 
um, founders and entrepreneurs to be on the show and tell stories of theirs. And especially, you are a storyteller. So here we go. And very excited to have you as an expert in storytelling because I just think this skill is just so important for kids and parents to learn. As and for kids, especially at a younger age, right, to know about storytelling and use this as a way to express themselves. Yeah. So, Kevin, tell us about your story. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's a long answer to a short question, but、uh, basically, I was raised on stories.、Um, my mother and father are from West Virginia, and I was born in Ohio.、Uh, but every night, my mother would take us on the dilapidated old couch of the five brothers and sisters, and they'd say, "You're not getting up until you hear this story." And I'd hear about Clay County, West Virginia, and I'd go to places where there was my uncle Dude, and I had an uncle Dude,、um, Aunt Bertie, and, and learn about the hollers and the hills and and some of the crazy annex. And every night we would learn those stories. And then when my mom was taking care of the kids or my dad was at work, we would tell stories amongst ourselves. And I found that I gravitated. And actually, as people as like, like Lisa Cron says. We're wired for stories. We need to stop trying to not seek them. We need to seek them out. And kids at a very young age, including me, when I was in kindergarten, I was a sixth grade reader.、Um, and they're like, "What will you do with this guy?" And I was the shortest person in the entire school district. And so they put me on a very tall stool, and I went to the second and third grade class, and I read them a book every day. Wow, and, and that wouldn't be possible without my mother sitting down every night, telling me stories or reading comic books, and then making up the comic books. And I'm like, that's not what Spider-Man said. And so I insisted on knowing what 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 it was said there. So from a very early age, if we introduce children to stories, they will have a narrative mind in responding, and they will, you know, be that much better for it. Wow, that's really impressive! You read so many stories, and then you were like jumping, you know, ahead of your grade, and to yeah, <laughs> mix and mingle with the sixth graders. Yeah, it was great to hear, you know, your perspective when you were young. I I still remember when I was in elementary school, we had a classmate who is really good at making up stories, just tell to the whole class, and then whenever we got a chance, like whenever like we don't have anything going on. And he is the one, you know, designated kids that the teachers say, "Do you guys want to hear stories? Okay, come on!" And this guy tell everybody about the story. So he just made up stories on the spot, and then we were like listening, like you know, like crazy because the imagination, you know, everything that goes into his、um, story, and it's just incredible to have that kind of imagination. Having one person there just telling random stories, yeah. I would argue that you should give that student that spotlight, but you should share that spotlight because if you're working with other kids on their story skills, so let's say that that student could tell a story with another student, then we can help build those narrative skills, and everybody could have those storytelling skills, and everybody could shape. It's almost like the kid that's the artist always gets the drawing. Yeah, the kids need to practice story making as well as storytelling. But saying that, it's always fun to have that one person that's going to really enchant you. 
But wouldn't it be better to have 26 kids that enchant you? Yeah, definitely. So I think we are going to talk a little more about that, right? Like how every kids can do that. Yeah, because at that time when I was young, I was like, that's incredible. I don't think I can do it. You know, I was like, like not only he's good at imagining, but also he's good at telling. At the same time, he is also like bold and strong enough, you know, not being shy to stand in front of everyone to express that. Yeah. You know, when we're very young, um, we we are fearless with with storytelling and speaking honestly, good naturedly. Parents and teachers teach us to fear public speaking and story. We say things like, "You were so brave to get up there to talk." All they did was say words. We need and we need to uh, quit saying things like, "I'll give you a bonus if you start first. There's a Cheyenne storyteller named Lance Henson, who's also a poet, a national poet. He said that stories are gifts. It's up to us to take them and receive them. So mm-hmm. to teachers and parents, instead of saying, you know, let, we were so brave, say, could you share your gift with me? Because nobody else can tell the way that you yes, can. Yes, yes. So it is the way how parents or teachers reacting to how the te- uh, how the students was like doing anything. That concept kind of, you know, was like imprinted into the kids. Oh, so sharing is a brave thing that I suppose to feel afraid of, you know, like, like speak in public. Yeah, things like that. Yeah, think when you were when you were very young, you you, you know you would take risks and you would use play. And I've written a book on play and story. And it's really important that we encourage students to go into uncomfortable spaces. And some of those spaces could just be telling a story, but the way that we ask them and the way we respond can ensure if they tell more stories or not. If we condition something that says, um, and I've just been reading about how much we're looking at achievement over compassion, um, instead of how, how well are you doing in school today, did you help someone out today? It's the same for story. Tell me the story, uh, the strongest words. There is a book called Tell Me. Instead, instead of asking a child, why did you do this or could you know, do this, just ask, tell me. Mm-hmm. Leah, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to show you this an example. Yeah. Um, talk to me right now about what you had for breakfast. This is a little exercise. Yes. I haven't thought about it yet because it's very early here in Pacific time. <laughs> Tell me about your breakfast yesterday. Okay. Yeah. So yesterday I had some pancakes. Yeah. That I cooked. <laughs> and go ahead. And uh, because it was a little complicated, so I actually didn't make it. It was a packaged, you know, pancake that I bought frozen that I just need to put it on the, you know, spot and then cooked it. Yeah, like that. So. I love it. Look at the richness of the story that you just shared. You could have said, I had pancakes. Yeah. You know, if I said, what did you have for breakfast? But I said, tell me about your breakfast. And I tried not to interrupt and I let you continue the story. And, and it was great. I got to learn about they were not They were not homemade, but you might be able to do that later. But, yeah. but they were store-bought. I got to learn about the package and I learned how you reacted to the story. That's extremely strong for children uh, to tell stories and not be interrupted and, and to use those strong words tell me evokes a response because tell me is about you 
listening more yeah. than what is. Mm, got it. And then you think like the richness that comes with the story as a kid, actually, it can be natural how they are imagining and thinking about things and putting words together to describe what they are thinking, right? So we shouldn't interrupt as adults, yeah, to say, oh, tell me more. What about this? What about that? You know, like trying to, yeah, give too much interruption. And then the way that we, I had a student once that, well, I'd listened to about 100 stories a day because I was a full-time high school storytelling teacher, the first in the country. Um, and imagine listening to 100 stories a day. Oh I said God. to the student, I said, um, you know, excuse me, um, Maria, I need to stop right now. I've heard 100 stories, and your story is more important for me to have better focus. Can you give me 30 seconds? And I remember her response. She said, no one's ever asked me to refocus my story. Often they don't even listen to me. So imagine that with children. Imagine sitting down and, and looking at them and say, your story is very important. Give me a minute so that I can give you my full attention. And then don't fake it. Give the full attention so that you can hear. Got it. So that's like that kind of attention, even though like, um, we might not, you know, like we might not like really phrase it in that way. We might be busy, you know, we might be busy with something else that we say, oh, yeah, 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 I heard you. But in reality, we didn't give the full attention. But because you phrase it, you tell people, I wanted to give you my full attention. That gives them extra, you know, kind of attention and credit and thinking, wow, my story matters. Yeah. Like. And start practicing that. I mean, we're, we're so used to be in a hurry. I came back from Japan and I got a philosophy called no time for a hurry. That's what I call it. <laughs> <laughs> and even if your chronological clock is saying you have to get there on time, your mind slows down so you can listen to the stories. Mm -hmm. if, I'm, if I'm at a coffee shop and I meet someone, I don't say, what do you do for a living? I say, what gives you joy in life? Oh. And, you know, honestly, that's a story pause. It's a moment where they look over and go, someone really wants to know why I could be happy or how I'm going to be happy. And that moves a response more than, well, you know, I'm an electric engineer. We need yeah. to stop treating people as the objects or the work they do and listen to their stories because that's who we are. Yeah. Yeah. When you ask that question and I just started thinking deeply about what gives me joy and then that you know, like that question makes me connect with things I really enjoy and then probably will give me much pleasure to talk about it too, rather than just saying, you know, some chit chat about whatever is going on, you know, like now and yeah, this and that. <laughs> We're so used to giving us the, giving up the calendar of the day. What did you do today? What did you do today? What if you asked a question that what made you pause today to think about something else? Yeah, yeah. I would definitely would love to take some questions from you <laughs> to have conversations like this because I do think they are very effective yeah and and I, I love talking to people I think having you know like to reframe the question a little bit yeah would give people like a totally new perspective to think about that and answer your question yeah but I will follow up <laughs> with you yeah and you mentioned a little bit about your childhood, which is amazing, you know, quite amazing. And you said you have a lot of siblings and that that's where you've grown up in the family with stories. So 
Tell me how your parents impacted you when you were a childhood. So besides your mom, like to tell stories, you know, to your brothers and sisters, and what else do they do? Um, yeah, to form this habit of storytelling or asking you guys to share stories or even read stories together. So I may have a doctorate in storytelling, but the、um, storytelling in residence at our home is my mother. And I always say my first degree is from my mother and my father because they richly told me stories. And honestly, if we think about the people who、uh, influence us the most, it's sometimes those who tell stories. So, for example,、um, we didn't grow up with a lot, and I was the first ever to go to college. And still to this day, of my five brothers and sisters, I and my mother and father, no one has attended college. And、uh, I remember, you know, I'd have to work, and my mom. Would would sacrifice so that happened, and and one day out of the blue,、um, I noticed she had new furniture, and I said, "Mom, you got new furniture?" And she said, "Yes." She says, "When's the last time that happened?" Asking me to think of a story. When's the last time? And I said, "I don't know." She said, "I want you to think a little bit on that." I said, "Okay." I said, "Ah,、uh, it must have been when I first entered college." And she said, "That's all I wanted you to know." Which is a story、uh-huh. about the sacrifices that she made. Instead of saying, "You know, I sacrificed all this, and I didn't have to do this, and I didn't do this," she simply gave me a pause and said, "Your college. Some people had to give up some things,、mm. and that resonates with me." But as a child growing up,、um, you know, we didn't have a lot, but we were rich in stories. And so, my father worked at Goodyear、uh, Tire and Rubber Company,、um, and he would come back, and we, <laughs> well, actually, he loved animals often more than people, <laughs> and we had a we had a pet graveyard, and he'd take me out, and he'd tell me stories over、um, a gravesite, homemade, and and of dogs and cat stories that I didn't even know these dogs and cats. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and but you know, mom taught us through story. Um, you know, she she asked us to rethink about life through the stories of her life,、mm-hmm. of、uh, being one of the few to graduate in in high school、uh, or or go on to the school, and, and how far she had to walk. And those weren't just stories because we walked those same roads, but we would learn about the the bull that she would go across, or the the person she thought was a witch or could still be. We still don't know, you know, <laughs> you know things like that, and. If we're going to rear children, we're going to raise kids. We we need to raise them through story.、Mm. We really do. We need、yeah. to sit down and say, "Hey, this is not not in a、uh, this is my life and this is your life." It's let's share who we are. Yeah, I think my background is in design and also related to illustration, right? So my interest actually has a lot of interest in children's illustration, but. I didn't grow up reading a lot of children's book, and I don't know where that came from, you know. Even, and when I think about it, I was thinking、um, sometimes like we now emphasize a lot, like say, oh, kids need to read a lot of stories, you know. Like we should give them a lot of children's book or、um, to let them read all these books, so in order to learn how to storytelling. But in reality, I heard a, I think it's a audio book. Um, written by a 
also a you know like a PhD in education from Stanford. Yeah, but she's an Asian lady. Yeah,、um, she has three kids, and she said the best storytelling they had in their family is to tell random stories she came up with. And then just ask the kid to imagine and act with her. And、uh, every night she would tell a story of you know a penguin traveling to the different part of the world and then thinking about what's going on. And then their father would tell a very funny story about a farting guy, you know, like who is using fart to say save the world or something like that. And then the kids were like loving it, and they still remember it, you know, even years later when they get to college and they remember the story there. The mom and you know the dad and has told them, and it's a family story. It's not like you know some random story they bought on the market. And I just thought, oh, that's so special, and something you know is going on there that this loving family wanted to create, you know, a story time of their own, and then imagine and create something together that doesn't belong to anyone else, right? Yeah, that's just touching. Yeah. They can mix together.、Um, I serve on、uh, the summer board for the largest children's illustration museum in the country, which is the Maza Museum, and so I know the rich joy of people putting pictures to images. But、yeah. imagine closing the book and telling the story. I spent five years studying what happens when you walk inside a story and you play inside of it. So let's say you're reading Little Red Riding Hood and you close the book and you say, "Today." We're going to walk into the world and find out where is Little Red Riding Hood's dad because he's not in the picture, and then you create play.、Um, you know, got it. And、Relatable. you give a yeah exactly. You give yourself permission to play, and then I become a play coach where I walk in with,、uh, as my mother would say, people knee high to a donut. I still don't know how tall that is, but from from preschool to high school. To college, I mean, I'm about to go to West Virginia and and do a play intensive with adults who want to shape their story by talking out loud and playing together.、Uh, but I'm also going to go to schools. We're working on anti-bullying work right now,、um, where we're going to walk in and say, "What what would happen?" So imagine you were talking about、um, a, uh, the book Wonder, for example,、um, and all of a sudden the kids are no longer. Kids, I say. Okay, as a result of you being part of the PTA, and I'm the principal, we have to decide if we want to take this kid and put him in the class, and then we use trouble and tension to to aggravate it or in, in, in instigate it. Where someone says, "Well, this mother says very clearly she doesn't want this type of kid to come to school," and I remember a fifth grader stood up and said. We will have her at that. We will have him at that school. I have had science lab with him. He's amazing. There's nothing wrong with him. He might look funny, but and they get to play and use role so that they can play and create a fictional world together and also question that world. And they can do. And parents can do that as well with kids.、Mm. Uh, we can teach each other through play. Got it. Yeah, that's great. When I started hearing, you know, like you are trying to, like using a different voice, that that already grabbed my attention. You know, like in part of being part of that role. Yeah, which is great. Um, so. About storytelling, Kevin, we know that even though you got influenced, you know, from your mother when you were a child,、um, but deciding to. Teach and learn storytelling as a profession must be a big decision in your life. So tell us 
How did you get into learning and teaching storytelling? And when was the first time you started thinking that maybe I can do this professionally as a storyteller? So,、uh, family storytelling. I came across organized storytelling at Kent State University. I was studying to be a teacher, but also a journalist, and I went in on a, a week-long workshop called Once Upon a Time Storytelling Festival or conference. And I got there, and I'm like, "Oh well, they probably got my mom speaking, you know," and I'll leave.、Uh, but I got there, and the very first day, there were 300 people. Now I'm 19 years old, and they were ancient. They were at least 40, maybe 50, or, <laughs> or even 60.、Um, and I saw this lo- tall, lanky guy. His name was Bat Burns. He was from Ireland, and he said, "Oh, let me tell you about the little people. They're so small, we can't find them at all." You know, and I can't do much. I'm part Irish, but at the same time, I was spellbound to find out about these little people. And then Le- Rebecca Hill was an Appalachian、uh, clog dancer, and I thought that was something in a sink, but not a dance.、Um, uh, began to take these ancient people, and they became friendly. And I would tell my editor, I'd say, "I've got to stay here for a reason. There's something here." And I watched these people、um, come together through story. Both through the making process and through the telling process, and then after that week, they went away, and I was left learning stories on old dilapidated cassette tapes with just their names on it. And I found a guild after an hour,、uh, after a year, excuse me, after a year,、um, I found a guild that were older. I was I'm one of the youngest national, or was one of the other youngest national touring storytellers in the country. Mm-hmm. Uh, but at eighteen and nineteen or twenty, I was looking for folk tales and fairy tales and ghosts and legends. And then I taught, started teaching high school. And I'm not the king of classroom discipline, you know. I I come from a big family. I like to talk, you know. But there were six words that I would say. Let me tell you a story that calmed them down.、Mm-hmm. And then I started to realize that as my world is a storyteller and my world is a teacher. Could come together, especially since seventy percent of all effective learning is done through narrative, and by telling and listening to stories. And so, I started using stories in the classroom. I was supposed to teach Canterbury Tales. We did the Brunswick, which was the school I was working at, tales, and we did pastoral love poetry in a drive-in theater. We created story. I started looking at story as a response. I also, when I was in California. Um, had a student come up to me, Jennifer Woolley, and said, "You tell stories everywhere you go." And I said, "Jen, I'm I'm stopped apologizing for that long time ago." She said, "No, I want to start a storytelling club." And so we we were in a dark, dank basement for a half hour, supposed to telling ghost stories. You can't tell ghost stories in a half hour. <laughs> we had five students that we told stories for four and a half hours, and. They started Voices of Illusion Youth Storytelling Club, and we started another one. And I actually started a program called Voices Across America Storytelling Project with Canada and Japan. And we registered 118 youth storytelling clubs across the country.、Mm, wow! And I co-authored a book called Raising Voices because voices are becoming silent in schools. This is what my student was saying. Mm-hmm. And then in the club, they could raise their voice, creating youth storytelling groups and troops. And、yeah. since then, I've just、uh, I've studied storytelling as a pedagogy. I've studied story 
as a practice and story making as well. So it is amazing to hear that you know you got impacted by that conference, and then you decided to use storytelling, like. Um, to be part of your teaching and also started, you know, building this kind of story clubs um, to impact others, yeah, especially youth uh, to use storytelling, yeah, to express themselves. Now, tell us about some. What do you think are some key components of storytelling? There must be something in there that is so impactful that you believe storytelling so much that you're. You're still doing it, yeah, and you're using this to impact other people, right? So tell us a little more. Well, you know, the most important things about story is not plot. The plot of、mm. Little Red Riding Hood is to go to Grandma's house. That's boring. All right. What if Grandma is a fifth degree black belt? What What if the wolf、uh, is uh,、um, uh, a little Off. What if the 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 wolf just lost his sister yesterday?、Uh, all these things would change the story. The story is about two things: character and trouble. So let's say we have Little Red Riding Hood is the fifth degree black belt meets the wolf. That's a different encounter, and she's allergic to candy. All right, so. You know, hey little girl, you want some candy? No, I, I break out in hives. You know, and even if you stay with the same story, you can use trouble and perspectives to tell the same story.、Mm. You can have a wolf that's really menacing, or one that's getting older. I need to get to grandma's house, you know. And then we don't always have to. Tell the story the same way, and we certainly don't have to memorize the story. We need to think story in the sense of episodes. This happens, so this might happen as a result. We don't always have to get it right every time. If you said Little Red Riding Hood, but wearing a blue cloak, roll with it. You know,、um, people get afraid that they'll get the, all the words wrong.、Mm-hmm. I think they need to think about what leads them with their heart. In the sense of where's the story wants to go,、um, and they want to think about story to the audience that they're working with. I once talked to a storyteller who said that I know about a hundred stories, but I've listened to thousands, and that's why I can tell a hundred.、Mm. And the whole point,、uh, Jackie Torrance was an amazing storyteller.、Uh, we no longer have her, but we have her stories. And she said, "Kevin, I've talked to people who give me long lists of what stories they know and and how they've grown." She said, "The only thing I want to know is, do you have that story that this student needs right now, that this young child needs right now? The kid can't go to bed and is having trouble sleeping. Do you have that story that just reminds them that sleep is a good thing?、Mm. Or, you know, I once wrote a story.、Um, a, a friend of mine uh, had uh, she lost her son." And she said, "There's so many stories about being afraid of death and running around, and that scares people when they're in bad situations. We need stories that talk about it accurately."、Uh, and she helped me rewrite some of the stories that I was working on. So the television and the stereotypes that they move、uh, don't always exemplify how we should react to life. And stories can calm us, excite us, invite us, invigorate us." But most of all, bring us together.
Definitely, because as human being, as you said, we are wired to listen to stories. Yeah, like stories touch us. No matter if you're talking to an individual, talking to a group of people on stage or whatever, if you are using a story, that's what grabs our attention. All right, that's the first part of the interview with Kevin Cody. From this interview, we learned about Kevin's background and his family tradition on storytelling. He also shared how a conference that marks the starting point of his storytelling career. So, from this interview, I actually have very two very important takeaways. One is that as parents or teachers, we wanted to ask our kids to tell their own stories, but we actually wanted to stay away from giving them too much suggestions or interrupt them. Uh, why they are imagining their stories? Because sometimes when we comment or ask them questions in a certain way, that can affect our children's thinking. For example, we have talked about how parents, if they comment on their kids and saying, "Oh, you're so brave to tell your stories in public," and in kids' mind, they might not know that it takes a lot of courage to share in public. It might come really natural to them. But because as adults that we are afraid of to stand in front of public to tell stories, and that's why when we say things like that to our kids, and comment in such way, the kids can start thinking, "Oh, it's actually scary to stand in front of public. So maybe next time I shouldn't do so." So I think in some ways we are actually imprinting our own perception. Um, our own fears to our children. So just to be careful when you ask questions or comment in a certain way when your kids tell stories. So another takeaway is that we have to create some special time to give full attention to our kids or to anyone who are telling a good story. You know, when we know someone, even when we when we are telling stories ourselves, when we know someone who is listening. Tentatively, like very carefully, to our story, and I think the energy and then the story overall can reach its best potential. So I think giving the full attention is important, especially in this digital age where our mobile phones are with us the whole time.、Um, whenever we're having a conversation with people or when someone is chatting with us, try to be focused and try to. Uh, stay away from our phones so that we can give the full attention to the person who is telling the story. All right. So in next week's episode, we are going to dive deep into questions with Kevin, like what makes a good story and what makes a good storyteller, and are there any processes like he suggests people or suggests us to go through to prepare for a good storytelling session. And Kevin, he will also share with us some of the initiatives he has done, especially with youth, and how storytelling can actually change someone or some student's life、um, from his own experience. Of course, he will also share with us some resources, books, and suggestions for all kids, parents, and educators. All right, that's it for this episode. Thanks everyone for tuning into Spark Creators. If you're still listening to my podcast, I really hope you can spend just one minute to go to iTunes and write me a review. You know, my podcast would not exist without your support. 
And if you just learned a little bit or got inspired just a little bit through any of the episodes, I really consider that already a success for me, delivering value to you as listeners. So I hope you can spend some time and write me a review as a way to support and encourage me to keep going and to keep producing this show. I am thankful for you guys listening to my podcast. I'm your host, Lee Zen. Thanks, everyone. I will see you guys next time. Bye. Thanks for listening to the Spark Creators Podcast at peachandplumlab.com.